Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 54 An Account of the Great Adventure of Montesinos Cave Don Quixote having tarried three days with the young couple and been entertained like a prince, he entreated the student who fenced so well to help him to a guide that might conduct him to Montesinos Cave, resolving to go down into it and prove by his own eyesight the wonders that were reported of it round the country. The student recommended a cousin German of his for his conductor, who, he said, was an ingenious lad, a pretty scholar, and a great admirer of books of knight errantry, and could shoe in the famous Lake of Ruidera too, adding that he would be very good company for the knight, as being one that wrote books for the booksellers, in order to dedicate them to great men. Accordingly, the learned cousin came, mounted on an ass, his pack saddle covered with an old carpet or coarse packing cloth. Thereupon Sancho having got ready Rosinante and Dapple, well stuffed his wallet and the student's knapsack to boot, they all took their leave, steering the nearest course to Montesinos cave. To pass the time on the road, Don Quixote asked the guide to what course of study he chiefly applied himself. Sir, answered the scholar, My business is in writing, and copy money my chief study. I have published some things with the general approbation of the world, and much to my own advantage. Perhaps, sir, you may have heard of one of my books, called The Treatise of Liveries and Devices, in which I have obliged the public with no less than 703 sorts of liveries and devices, with their colors, mottos, and ciphers, so that any courtier may furnish himself thereupon any extraordinary appearance with what may suit his fancy or circumstances, without racking his own invention to find what is agreeable to his inclination. I can furnish the jealous, the forsaken, the disdained, the absent, with what will fit them to a hair. Another piece, which I now have on the anvil, I designed to call the Metamorphoses, or the Spanish Ovid, an invention very new and extraordinary. Another work, which I soon designed for the press, I call a supplement to Polydor Virgil, concerning the invention of things, a piece, I will assure you, sir, 
that shews the great pains and learning of the compiler and perhaps in a better style than the old author. For example, he has forgot to tell us who was the first that was troubled with a guitar in the world. Now, sir, this I immediately resolve and confirm my assertion by the testimony of at least four and twenty authentic writers, by which quotations alone you may guess at what pains I have been to instruct and benefit the public. With more discourse of a like kind they passed their journey till they came to the cave the next day, having slept the night before in a village on the road. There they bought a hundred fathoms of cord to let Don Quixote down to the lowest part of the cave. No sooner was he come to the place than he prepared for his expedition into that underworld, telling the scholar that he was resolved to reach the bottom, though deep as the most profound abyss, and all having alighted, the squire and his guide accordingly girt him fast with a rope. While this was doing, good sweet sir, quoth Sancho, consider what you do. Do not venture into such a horrid black hole. Look before you leap, sir, and be not so willful as to bury yourself alive. Do not hang yourself like a bottle or a bucket that is let down to be soused in a well. Peace, coward, said the knight, and bind me fast, for surely for me such an enterprise as this is reserved. Pray, sir, said the student, when you are in, be very vigilant in exploring and observing all the rarities in the place. Let nothing escape your eyes, perhaps you may discover there's some things worthy to be inserted in my metamorphoses. Let him alone, quoth Sancho, he will go through with it, he will make a hog or a dog of it, I will warrant you. Don Quixote being well bound, bethought himself of one thing they had forgot. We did ill, said he, not to provide ourselves with a little bell that I might ring for more or less rope as I require it and inform you of my being alive. But since there is no remedy, heaven prosper me. Then kneeling down, he in a low voice recommended himself to the divine providence for assistance and success in an adventure so strange and in all appearance so dangerous. Then raising his voice, O thou lady of my life, cried he, most illustrious Dulcinea del Toboso, if the prayers of an adventurous absent lover may reach the ears of the far distant object of his wishes, by the power of thy unspeakable beauty, I conjure thee to grant me thy favor and protection in this plunge and precipice of my fortune. I am now going to engulf and cast myself into this dismal profundity that the world may know nothing can be impossible to him who, influenced by thy smiles, attempts, under the banner of thy beauty, the most difficult task. This said, he got up again, and approaching the entrance of the cave, he found it stopped up with brakes and bushes, so that he would be obliged to make his way by force. Whereupon, drawing his sword, he began to cut and slash the brambles that stopped up the mouth of the cave, when, presently, an infinite number of crows and daws came rushing and fluttering out of the cave about his ears, so thick and with such impetuosity as almost struck him to the ground. He was not superstitious enough to draw any ill omen from the flight of the birds, 
Besides, it was no small encouragement to him that he spied no bats nor owls nor other ill-boding birds of night among them. He therefore rose again with an undaunted heart and committed himself to the black and dreadful abyss. But Sancho and the student first gave him their benediction and prayed for the night's safe and speedy return. Don Quixote began to descend, calling for more rope, which they gave him by degrees till his voice was drowned in the winding of the cave and their cordage was run out. That done, they began to consider whether they should hoist him up again immediately or no. However, they resolved to stay half an hour and then they began to drop the rope, but were strangely surprised to find no weight upon it, which made them conclude the poor gentleman was certainly lost. Sancho, bursting out into tears, made a heavy lamentation and fell hauling up the rope as fast as he could to be thoroughly satisfied. But after they had drawn up about fourscore fathoms, they felt a weight again, which made them take heart, and at length they plainly saw Don Quixote. Welcome, cried Sancho to him, as soon he came in sight. Welcome, dear master. I am glad you are come back again. We were afraid you had been pawing for the reckoning. But Sancho had no answer to his compliment, and when they had pulled the knight quite up, they found that his eyes were closed as if he had been fast asleep. They laid him on the ground and unbound him. Yet he made no sign of waking, and all their turning and shaking was little enough to make him come to himself. At last he began to stretch his limbs, as if he had waked out of the most profound sleep, and staring wildly about him, Heaven forgive you, friends, cried he, for you have raised me from one of the sweetest lives that ever mortal led, and most delightful sights that ever eyes beheld. Now I perceive how fleeting are all the joys of this transitory life, they are but an imperfect dream, they fade like a flower, and vanish like a shadow. O ill-fated Montesinos! O Duranarte, unfortunately wounded! O unhappy Bellarma! O deplorable Guadiana! And you the distressed daughters of Ruidera, whose flowing waters shoe what streams of tears once trickled from your lovely eyes. These expressions, uttered with great passion and concern, surprised the scholar in Sancho, and they desired to know his meaning and what he had seen in that horrid dungeon. Call it not so, answered Don Quixote, for it deserves a better name, as I shall soon let you know. But first give me something to eat, for I am prodigiously hungry. They then spread the scholar's coarse saddlecloth for a carpet, and examining their old cupboard, the knapsack, they all three sat down on the grass and eat heartily together, like men that were a meal or two behindhand. When they had done, let no man stir, said Don Quixote, sit still and hear me with attention. Chapter 55 of the wonderful things which the unparalleled Don Quixote declared he had seen in the deep cave of Montesinos, the greatness and impossibility of which make this adventure pass for apocryphal. It was now past four in the afternoon, and the sun was opportunely hid behind the clouds, which, interposing between his rays, invited Don Quixote, 
without heat or trouble to relate the wonders he had seen in Montesino's cave. About 12 or 14 men's depth, said he, in the profundity of this cavern on the right hand, there is a concavity wide enough to contain a large wagon, mules and all. This place is not wholly dark, for through some chinks and narrow holes that reach to the distant surface of the earth, there comes a glimmering light. I discovered this recess, being already weary of hanging by the loins, discouraged by the profound darkness of the region below me, destitute of a guide, and not knowing whither I went, resolving therefore to rest myself there a while, I called to you to give me no more rope, but it seems you did not hear me. I therefore entered, and coiling up the cord, sat upon it very melancholy, and thinking how I should most conveniently get down to the bottom, having nobody to guide or support me. While I thus sat pensive, and lost in thought, insensibly, without any previous drowsiness, I found myself surprised by sleep, and after that, not knowing how, nor which way I wakened, I unexpectedly found myself in the finest and most delightful meadow that ever nature adorned with her beauties or the most inventive fancy could ever imagine. Now, that I might be sure this was neither a dream nor an illusion, I rubbed my eyes, felt several parts of my body, and convinced myself that I was really awake with the use of all my senses and all the faculties of my understanding sound and active as at this moment. Presently I discovered a sumptuous palace of which the walls seemed all of transparent crystal. The spacious gates opening, there came out towards me a venerable old man clad in a sad-colored robe so long that it swept the ground. On his breast and shoulders he had a green satin tippet after the manner of those warning colleges. On his head he wore a black Milan cap and his broad hoary beard reached down below his middle. He had no kind of weapon in his hands, but a rosary of beads about the bigness of walnuts, and his credo beads appeared as large as ordinary ostrich eggs. The awful and grave aspect, the pace, the port and goodly presence of this old man, each of them apart, and much more altogether, struck me with veneration and astonishment. He came up to me, and, without any previous ceremony, embracing me close, it is a long time, said he, most renowned knight, Don Quixote de la Mancha, that we who dwell in this enchanted solitude have hoped to see you here, that you may inform the upper world of the surprising prodigies concealed from human knowledge in this subterranean hollow, called the Cave of Montesinos, an enterprise reserved alone for your insuperable heart and stupendous resolution. Go with me then, thou most illustrious knight, and behold the wonders enclosed within the transparent castle, of which I am the perpetual governor and chief warden, being the same individual Montesinos from whom this cavern took its name. No sooner had the reverend old man let me know who he was, but I entreated him to tell me, whether it was true or no, that, at his friend Durandart's dying request, he had taken out his heart with a small dagger the very moment he expired and carried it to his mistress Belarma as the story was current in the world. It is literally true, answered the old gentleman, except that single circumstance of the dagger, 
for I used neither a small nor a large dagger on this occasion, but a well-polished poniard as sharp as an awl. The venerable Montesinos, having conducted me into the crystal palace, led me into a spacious ground room, exceeding cool and all of alabaster. In the middle of it stood a marble tomb that seemed a masterpiece of art, upon it lay a knight extended all at length, not of stone or brass, as on other monuments, but pure flesh and bones, he covered the region of his heart with his right hand, which seemed to me very full of sinews, a sign of the great strength of the body to which it belonged. Montesinos, observing that I viewed this spectacle with surprise, behold, said he, the flower and mirror of all the living and valiant knights of his age, my friend Durandarte, who, together with me and many others, of both sexes, are kept here enchanted by Merlin the British magician. Here, I say, we are enchanted, but how and for what cause no man can tell, though time, I hope, will shortly reveal it. But the most wonderful part of my fortune is this, I am as certain as that the sun now shines, that Duranarte died in my arms, and that with these hands I took out his heart, which weighed above two pounds, a sure mark of his courage, for, by the rules of natural philosophy, the most valiant men have still the biggest hearts. Nevertheless, though this knight really died, he still complains and sighs sometimes as if he were alive. Scarce had Montesinos spoke these words, but the miserable Duranarte cried out aloud, Oh! Cousin Montesinos, the last and dying request of your departing friend was to take my heart out of my breast with a poniard or a dagger and carry it to Belarma. The venerable Montesinos, hearing this, fell on his knees before the afflicted knight and with tears in his eyes, long, long ago, said he, Duranarte, thou dearest of my kinsmen, have I performed what you enjoined me on that bitter fatal day when you expired. I took out your heart with all imaginable care and hasted away with it to France as soon as I had committed your dear remains to the bosom of the earth. To confirm this truth yet farther, at the first place where I stopped from Roncesvalles, I laid a little salt upon your heart to preserve it till I presented it into the hands of Belle Irma, who, with you and me, and Guadiana your squire, as also Ruidera, the lady's woman, with her seven daughters, her two nieces, and many others of your friends and acquaintance, is here confined by the necromantic charms of the magician Merlin, and though it be now above five hundred years since we were first. Conveyed into this enchanted castle, we are still alive, except Ruidera, her daughters and nieces, who by the favor of Merlin, that pitted their tears, were turned into so many lakes, still extant in the world of the living, and in the province of La Mancha, distinguished by the name of the lakes of Ruidera. But now I have other news to tell you, which, though perhaps it may not assuage your sorrows, yet I am sure it will not increase them. Open your eyes, and behold in your presence that mighty knight, of whom Merlin the Sage has foretold so many wonders that Don Quixote de la Mancha, 
I mean, who has not only restored to the world the function of naerentry that has lain so long in oblivion, but advanced it to greater fame than it could boast in any former age. It is by his power that we may expect to see the charm dissolved, which keeps us here confined, for great performances are properly reserved for great personages. And should it not be so, answered the grieving Duranarte with a faint and languishing voice, should it not be so, I say? Oh, cousin, patience, and shuffle the cards. Then turning on one side, without speaking a word more, he relapsed into his usual silence. Guadiana, a river in Spain that sinks into the earth and rises again a great distance off. After this, I was alarmed with piteous howling and crying, which, mixed with lamentable sighs and groans, obliged me to turn about to see whence it proceeded. Then through the crystal wall, I saw a mournful procession of most beautiful damsels, all in black, marching in two ranks, with turbans on their heads after the Turkish fashion, and last of all came a majestic lady, dressed also in mourning, with a long white veil that reached from her head down to the ground. Her turban was twice as big as the biggest of the rest. She was somewhat beetle-browed, her nose was flattish, her mouth wide, but her lips red, her teeth, which she sometimes discovered, seemed to be thin, but as white as blanched almonds. She held a fine handkerchief, and within it I could perceive a heart of flesh, so dry and withered that it looked like mummy. Montesinos informed me that the procession consisted of Durandarts and Valerma's servants who were enchanted there with their master and mistress, but that the last was Bellerma herself, who with her attendants used four days in the week constantly thus to sing their dirges over the heart and body of his cousin, and that though Bellarma appeared a little haggard at that juncture, occasioned by the grief she bore in her own heart, for that which she carried in her hand, yet had I seen her. Before her misfortunes had sunk her eyes and tarnished her complexion, I must have owned that even the celebrated Dulcinea del Toboso, so famous in La Mancha and over the whole universe, could scarce have vied with her in gracefulness and beauty. Hold there, good Senor Don Montesinos, said I. You know that comparisons are odious, therefore no more comparing, I beseech you, but go on with your story. The peerless Dulcinea del Toboso is what she is, and the Lady Bellarma is what she is, and has been, so no more upon that subject. I beg your pardon, answered Montesinos, Senor Don Quixote, I might have guessed that you were the Lady Dulcinea's knight, and therefore I ought to have bit my tongue off, sooner than to have compared her to anything lower than heaven itself. This satisfaction, which I thought sufficient from the great Montesinos, stifled the resentment I else had shown for hearing my mistress compared to Bellarma. Nay, Mary, quoth Sancho, I wonder you did not give the old fellow a hearty kicking. How could you leave one hair on his chin? No, no, Sancho, answered Don Quixote, there is always a respect due to our seniors, though they be no knights but most when they are such and under the oppression of enchantment. 
However, I am satisfied that in what discourse passed between us, I took care not to have anything that looked like an affront fixed upon me. But, sir, asked the scholar, how could you see and hear so many strange things in so little time? I cannot conceive how you could do it. How long, said Don Quixote, do you reckon that I have been in the cave? A little above an hour, answered Sancho. That is impossible, said Don Quixote, for I saw morning and evening, and evening and morning, three times since, so that I could not be absent less than three days from this upper world. I, I, quoth Sancho, my master is in the right, for these enchantments, that have the greatest share in all his concerns, may make that seem three days and three nights to him, which is but an hour to other people. It must be so, said Don Quixote. I hope, sir, said the scholar, you have eaten something in all that time. Not one morsel, replied Don Quixote, neither have had the least desire to eat, or so much as thought of it all the while. Do not they that are enchanted sometimes eat? asked the scholar. They never do, answered Don Quixote. Do they never sleep neither? said Sancho. Never, said Don Quixote, at least they never closed their eyes while I was among them, nor I neither. This makes good the saying, quoth Sancho, tell me thy company, and I will tell thee what thou art. Troth. You have all been enchanted together. No wonder if you neither eat nor slept, since you were in the land of those that always watch and fast. But, sir, which you have me speak as I think, and pray do not take it in ill part, for if I believe one word of all you have said dash what do you mean, friend, said the student. Do you think the noble Don Quixote would be guilty of a lie? And if he had a mind to stretch a little, could he, think you, have had leisure to frame such a number of stories in so short a time? I do not think that my master would lie neither, said Sancho. What do you think then, sir, said Don Quixote? Well truly, sir, quoth Sancho, I do believe that this same cunning man, this Merlin, that bewitched or enchanted, as you call it, all that rabble of people you talk of, may have crammed and enchanted some way or other all that you have told us and have yet to tell us into your knothole. It is not impossible but such a thing may happen, said Don Quixote, though I am convinced it was otherwise with me, for I am positive that I saw with these eyes and felt with these hands all I have mentioned. But what will you think when I tell you, among many wonderful things, that I saw three country girls leaping and skipping about those pleasant fields like so many wild goats, and at first sight knew one of them to be the peerless Dulcinea, and the other two the very same we spoke to not far from Toboso. I asked Montesinos if he knew them. He answered in the negative, but imagined them some enchanted ladies who were newly come and that the appearance of strange faces was no rarity among them for many of the past ages and the present were enchanted there under several disguises and that, among the rest, he knew Queen Guinevere and her woman Quintiniana that officiated as Sir Lancelot's cupbearer as he came from Britain. 
Sancho, hearing his master talk at this rate, had like to have forgot himself and burst out in laughing, for he well knew that Dulcinea's enchantment was all a fiction, and that he himself was the chief magician and raiser of the story, and thence, concluding his master stark mad, in an ill hour, quoth he, dear master of mine, and in a waffle day, when your worship down to the other world, and in a worse hour met you with that plaguey Montesinos that has sent you back in this rueful pickle. You and hence in your right senses could talk prettily enough now and then at your handsome proverbs and wise sayings every foot and would give wholesome counsel to all that would take it. But now, bless me, you talk as if you have left your brains in the devil's cellar. I know thee, Sancho, said Don Quixote, and therefore I regard thy words as little as possible. And I yours, replied Sancho, nay, you may cripple, lame, or kill me, if you please, either for what I have said, or mean to say, I must speak my mind, though I die for it. While Montesinos and I were thus talking together, continued the night, a very odd accident, the thoughts of which trouble me still, broke off our conversation. For as we were in the height of our discourse, who should come to me but one of the unfortunate Dulcinea's companions, and before I was aware, with a faint and doleful voice, sir, said she, my lady Dulcinea del Toboso gives her service to you, and desires to know how you do, and being a little short of money at present, she desires you, of all love and kindness, to lend her six reals, or more or less as you can spare it, sir, and she will take care to redeem it very honestly in a little time. The message surprised me strangely, and therefore, turning to Montesinos, is it possible, sir, said I, that persons of quality, when enchanted, are in want? Oh, very possible, sir, said he, poverty rages everywhere, and spares neither quality enchanted nor unenchanted, and therefore, since the lady Dulcinea desires you to lend her these six reals, let her have the money, for sure it is very low with her at this time. But my misfortune, said I, is that I cannot answer the full request, for I have but four reals about me, and that was the money thou gavest me the other day, Sancho, to distribute among the poor. However, I gave her all I had, and desired her to tell her mistress, I was very sorry for her wants, and that if I had all the treasures which Croesus possessed, they should be at her service, and withal, that I died every hour for want of her reviving company, and made it my humble and earnest request, that she would vouchsafe to see in converse with her captive servant and weather-beaten knight. Tell her, continued I, when she least expects it, she will come to hear how I made a vow, as the Marquis of Mantua did, when he found his nephew Baldwin ready to expire on the mountain, never to eat upon a tablecloth, and several other particulars, till he had avenged his death. So, in the like solemn manner will I swear, never to desist from traversing the habitable globe, and ranging through all the seven parts of the world, more indefatigably than ever was done by Prince Pedro of Portugal, till I have freed her from her enchantment. All this and more you owe my mistress, said the damsel, 
and then, having got the four rails, instead of dropping me a curtsy, she cut me a caper in the air two yards high. Who, exclaimed Sancho, could ever have believed that these enchanters and enchantments should have so much power as to bewitch my master at this rate and craze his sound understanding in this manner? Alas, sir, for the love of heaven, take care of yourself. What will the world say of you? Rouse up your dozing senses and do not dote upon those whimsies that have so wretchedly cracked that rare headpiece of yours. Well, said Don Quixote, I cannot be angry at thy ignorant tittle-tattle, because it proceeds from thy love towards me. Thou thinkest, poor fellow, that whatever is beyond the sphere of thy narrow comprehension must be impossible, but, as I have already said, there will come a time when I shall give thee an account of some things I have seen below, that will convince thee of the reality of those I told thee now, the truth of which admits of no dispute.